Hello, wonderful humans. Thank you for tuning in to the Triple Well Network. And if you could take seven seconds out of your day and do me a big favor, jump over to the Shopify App Store. We just launched our Founders Dash and we would love a review from you. Thanks so much for being so awesome. Enjoy the show. Dude, I hire for passion more than I hire for skill. I hire more for uh, wanting to get their hands dirty and learning than I do hire for the logos that you have on your resume. So like, I really do that and I don't give a shit about education. I think that's the biggest thing my team always laughs about. Like, I have no idea where anybody went to school. I don't know where I went to school, so why do I care? I care about what you're doing today and that's what matters most. So like, you know, I think that we have a great scrappy group of people, super lean for the size and uh, the, the revenue we do and I don't plan to go crazy. I have touched a fire. I have done stupid stuff to try to go higher and do different things in the past. They all never work out end up at square one again as well too all you do is waste time all right folks welcome back to another episode of you're not your roas this has been a long time coming i've always had a bit of a man crush on jimmy and then he absolutely landed a deliver deliverability geez i can't even say uh talk at the whaley's and I, I i was sold i knew i needed to talk more to this man and then um we've just been connecting more and more on back channels but the day has finally come jimmy kin the man from send lane is here to drop some knowledge bombs. Thanks for coming on the show, Jimmy. What's up, man? Thanks for having me, dude. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And so, because you're in California right now, yeah? Yeah, I'm currently in California right now. Um, uh, my house is possibly. on sale. It's on market right now. We're hopefully tying these things up here this week. And uh, in the next, uh, hopefully, four to six weeks, I'll be joining the great state of Texas and joining the Austin community as I've been watching Let's from afar go. and FOMOing for a while. And I think it's time and the world, everything is aligning in the world to make the sense of it right now. So yeah, man, I'm headed to Austin soon. We're building, we're, we're getting more and more transplants. It's amazing. And you guys actually um, have a pretty cool event coming up in September, right? Or, yeah, or, or we, you're, we, you're the main sponsor of the event. It looks amazing. You want to plug that a little, real quick? Yeah, sure, man. I love to plug it. Uh, CommerceRoundtable.com. Um, we've been doing this event. We started this thing not to be a brand of Sunlane, but to be a brand on its own on purpose because we wanted it to stand out, really be content driven, really focused on education, less about pitching and selling. And so we created this event and we went, uh, we've been doing it virtually and it was time. It was time to go live with it. And instead of doing like a big Sendling conference, we're like, you know what? Let's just do this whole thing, Commerce Roundtable live and make it a big deal. So we rented a really cool place on the water. Like literally our event space overlooks the water. Like I don't know how much cooler than it gets than that. And like we rented this really awesome place, really fluid experience. And then I went out and uh, hit my network and I got the best of the best to get to the event uh, and speak on stage and be a part of it. And so it's exciting man uh that's uh september 18 19th here in san diego california take my money take my money yeah i might uh I, i'm a little traveled out but i might have to make the journey journey west for you the it, the the speaking list looks incredible and all the people in the industry are it is it is turning out to be the must attend event of the year so um really awesome on you guys doing that um for people that don't know you how'd you get started like give me the kind of the the jimmy kim elevator pitch in like a a, a minute or two uh man <laughs> Uh, a minute or two is going to take a while, but I'm going to I'm going to try my best. Ready? So you can take I started as much time my, as you want. This, yeah, just yeah. I started my world, first. Yeah, yeah, I get you. Um, I'll, I'll kind of zap all the way back in my life. So I'm originally from the Maryland, D.C. area. So I'm not actually from California originally. Um, I grew my life and my first career was actually in car sales, believe it or not. So the story is one of those fun ones. Um, I washed cars. I was actually a lot attendant for years and uh, I went to school. I went to Penn State. And when I came back from school the first summer, I was like, hey, I'm here back for my lot attendant job for my summer gig. And they're like, Jimmy, I don't have any spots left right now. And I was like, shit. What do I do? Right. So they're like, but dude, you've been washing these cars for years. Why don't you just come sell this summer? Come inside. And I was like, all right. So that's what I did. And uh, that summer was one of my incredible first summers that I had. Imagine you're 19 years old at this point. I get on the car sales floor, no idea what I'm doing. And my first commission check is $14,000 my first month. And the reason why that happened was because I literally talked to everybody. I didn't care who you were. You're a 16 year old kid or you're a 90 year old grandpa looking at a Mustang. Like I was going to talk to you because I didn't know any better. And that was my first rule of sales, never judge. Right. And uh, I learned that and I did the first month and I looked at my parents and looked 
showed him my paycheck and I was like, I don't know if I'm going back to school. And they're like, well, show it to me again. So then I backed it out in the next month and I did 16 grand the next month. So like things just went crazier, right? And I started repeating that. And within the three months of the summer, I had made more money. And this is 2000, 2001. So like I had made more money than I was going to make as of my computer science job in an yearly salary in three months. And I was like, this is what I want to do. So uh, I never went back to school. So I dropped out at that point. I wasn't doing bad. I just dropped out. And I said, I'm going to hold. I'm just going to go make some money. Well, you know how these things go. So sold cars, um, quickly wanted to excel the ladder. So I eventually became a, uh, a finance manager, finance director, a general sales manager. Then eventually at 25, I was running three Saturn stores in Maryland, three Saturn stores, one being a top 10 in nation. And uh, it was really cool, man. I had all these stores. I had three stores that were running. And then of course, the whole 2008 crash happened, right? The first, last recession before what we might say we are today. And when that happened, Saturn died. And they said, okay, Saturn's dying. We're going to reopen these stores as Kia stores. Do you want to do it? And well, honestly, at that time, Kia had a pretty poor reputation. And I was like, man, I don't know if I want to go slog this out. And at that time, I had this friend and he was running this whole thing online and I had no idea what he's doing. And uh, that was the mo first moment I took my very first career move. So my first career move was making 350, 400 grand at 28, 29 years old. And I was like, I don't want to do this forever. I need to go learn a new skill. So I went to this guy and I said, look, I know you're not gonna be able to pay me what I am, but I do come with a lot of operation knowledge and sales knowledge. Teach me what you're doing marketing, teach me what this digital marketing thing is, online marketing is, and I will help you run your company and operate. And I took a huge pay cut. I'm talking like going from 400 grand to like 100 grand, less than 100 grand, sold my house, moved into a little apartment, and I just learned. And so that was my next move. So I, that's when my first introduction into digital marketing happened in 20, 2008. And the first thing I really learned about was email marketing. That's actually where my love started from all of this, right? And I learned that you could grow this list and these people who would be on your list and they would opt in. And then when you sent them an email, they'd click on it and they'd make a purchase, I'd get a payment out of commission, right? As an affiliate marketer. And that got me hooked, man. And so uh, that was my first move. I worked there for a couple of years. I helped carve out some incredible stories there, helped do some incredible big product launches. It was an internet marketer. So like I learned a lot of stuff there. Uh, and then I ran off to start my first business. So my first business was an affiliate marketing business. I did the same thing I learned and when it made money. And then I started to teach people how to make money. So I became a content creator and started educating people. And I started amassing a good amount of money. And there was this day where a friend of mine in Vegas reached out to me and was like, I got a 50 grand PO to Pacific Sunwear for some clothes. I don't have the money. Can you help me? And at that point, I was flush with money. I was young. I was like, fine, sure, we'll help you out. And so I can put some money into that business. And well, a couple months later, I was at the store checking it out. I had nothing about it. I just knew the relationship with the guy. So I just gave it to him without even really thinking about it. And then I went in there and I was like, dude, this is cool. What are you guys doing? And he was telling me all this stuff. And I was like, so where's your website? And they're like, we don't have a website. And I was like, oh, shit. This is it. So I was like, I was like, look, I don't even want the money back. Give me ownership. Let's let's buy this deal out. This company was only doing 700 grand a year. It's not doing a lot. I gave you 50 grand. I think it's a good investment. We can get into a position. So I carved out a portion of the company. And the first thing I did was spin up what we call a Shopify store. And so this is 2013, 2012, 2013, as we're spinning it up. And we set it up. And at this point, it's a brick and mortar, uh, maybe 1,200 square foot front end on in Las Vegas over in Spring Mountain over in the Asian area. Well, we quickly went from boutique where we carried everyone's all stuff. And we had the small D to C, like we're doing cut and sew and we're figuring it out. We had created this thing called the elongated T that everybody has now. But in 2013, I was like, we need to patent this. We need to get this to market. We need to start working on that. We had basics back before basics were cool ultimately. And of course, that's all always what I've been doing is things about timing, right? So we tried to patent the elongated T. We got, we got kicked out. We tried a lot. We spent way too much money trying to design patent that thing. And we learned real quickly that clothing is really hard to design patent. So from there, we took off online. We went from this retail storefront to this huge, uh, you know, online warehouse, small, tiny showroom. We moved, went to a huge warehouse. We had all these online sales. We had all our own clothing and brand only. Uh, and we did a lot of cool stuff. We did the influencer stuff before influencers cool. We had everybody wearing our clothes. I'm talking like all the, I guess now they're age now, but like people like DJ Tiesto and Justin Bieber, Chris Brown, Jamie Foxx, all these guys uh, wore our clothes. And uh, wow. some of the cool people that are cool now, like little Uzi was doing our birthday party celebration for us back in 2017 in a private venue before little Uzi was anything. I saw a video from it. It's cool, man. Remember when we were doing the whole wow. like uh, thing where everyone froze? I can't remember what they called that thing, but the music would freeze and stuff. Yeah, I have video from us doing it at our own like little birthday event with little Uzi's kind of 
dealing with it, right? Like cool stuff, man. And uh, it was a really cool experience. But of course, those all good things have to come to an end. And our end was a creative difference. The situation was very simple. I was a capitalist. I like making money. And uh, and uh, my partner at the time uh, was a creative. And he really didn't think it was cool that we're selling out of all our clothes because we're flooding the internet with Facebook advertising. It was one of those fun little arguments. And that was like kind of the moment for me that I knew that I wanted to go do my next thing. So in the background at all this time, both these companies needed something. They needed a tool to do email, needed a tool to make money online. And the tool options I had were MailChimp and Bronto. I couldn't afford Bronto and MailChimp was just too light. So me and my partners at that time, the founders, they were running their own business. We said, let's just put some money in. This can't be that hard. Let's go figure out and build this tool to make our own money. And though it was hard, we built this really uh, great tool. And it wasn't the tool you see today by any means. It was a tool that was like very ugly, but it was designed for us to make money. So for the next four years, man, we literally made money using our own tool. And we just kind of did our thing. In 2017, I was like, all right. We need to go do something with this. I see legs on this. We've already been able to prove some enough that we can go out and do it. So that's when uh, I put my head down again. 2017 started this thing. It was completely bootstrapped at that time. So we're like, well, we can't. We need to go raise money, but we have no revenue. So let's go do revenue. So we went out, you know, just like you probably noticed today. I got on the floor. We called. We dialed. We got people into the book and we re- we uh, accelerated revenue really fast. And then we got to our seed round. And then that's when the magic started happening. So the seed round was the whole idea behind the seed round was I wanted to launch this new platform, the platform of the future, e-commerce focused, a unified future, because the thing that I had the biggest pain when I was an operator was I had too many freaking apps, man, too many things that I was using in my store. I didn't even know what half the things were. I didn't even know how to cancel. I still remember there's this was a $3.99 app that haunted me every month. I had no idea how to cancel <laughs> it. And it killed me because I know it's only $4. But you guys know as operators, $4 drives you freaking up the wall because you know it's there, right? And so that kind of got me sparked and I started this platform, but I knew that I had to start with email. So I worked at my head, uh, you know, we worked and worked and for three years almost, we built this platform because we knew what we had to be competitive in market and we built it and launched in 2021 as an email marketing platform only. And that's when like the real send lane started to be born. And then the story goes on from that, right? Then it took almost uh, two years, almost right? A year, year and a half to really refine product market fit. I mean, it doesn't matter if you build a great tool. We've all learned you can't talk to the community, can't work with the community can't be a part of the community. Well, it's really hard to break in unless you do a really hard hitting sales approach, right? We did a little bit of that. I can talk about that later. So, um, but yeah, man, uh, it's been a heck of a journey to get here. You know, multiple businesses doing this, multiple industry changes for me. And, uh, you know, I started in DC. I lived in Vegas. I lived in LA. I lived in San Diego now for 10 years now. It's been the longest stop I've taken. And now I'm headed to Austin, hopefully to be the forever home. So that's kind of, that's kind of the, the move that I'm taking towards everything. But yeah, that's my story, dude. What an interesting, wow. That's such a wild ride. The, you know, what's so interesting too, is I see so many of like these successful entrepreneurs that have this wacky trajectory, but then like looking back, it all makes sense, right? Like sales are such an intricate part of being an entrepreneur, whether you're selling to the board, whether you're selling to investors, whether you're selling to your literal users or prospects, um, going through kind of trials and tribulations, understanding cultural fits when you, when you have founders and things of that nature. And all all these lessons kind of rolled up in the send lane is incredible. Where'd the name come from? (laughs) So, you know, I'd love to tell you about this crazy idea. I saw a vision. I was doing opium in the desert and things happen. (laughs) But I'm going to tell you the real truth. And it's and it's and it's and I always laugh about it. It was $10. That's where the domain came from. I was was looking for a domain (laughs) as cheap as possible because domains don't fuck matter. And so I said, yes, let's matter. just go find what we can. We looked up, said, oh, there's a send grid. There's a send something else, a send moo. And so I said, well, what's another thing? Well, how about road? That was taken. So I was like, well, what about a lane? And they were like, oh, that's take. That's available. $9.99 on Namecheap. I said, that's our domain. And that's that's how our domain Charges was purchased. And that literally is the way that our, how it started, man. It wasn't it wasn't that. And when we first that's had the product incredible. for four years, it wasn't send lane. It was actually called something else. We used to call it our email blast system. We used to call it all sorts of things. We never really had a name for it the first couple of years while we're figuring it out. And then we finally bought a domain called Sunlight. So that's it, man. No secret. That's incredible. That's amazing. Hello, beautiful people. 
Thank you for tuning into the Triple Well Network. This is brought to you by the Founders Dash, our new forever free plan. You can get all of the awesomeness of, or most of the awesomeness of Triple Well. So you're going to get a, a 12 month look back. You're going to get net profit. You're going to get access to the iOS and Android apps. So you can have all your metrics in real time anywhere you want. All you got to do is go to triplewell.com slash Founders Dash and install the app today and get ready to ride the lightning. Enjoy the show. So from the car dealership, is that how you got into tuning? Because you actually, uh, we'll drop the link to the Instagram. You have an incredible, <laughs> neat, it's it's one of my favorite cars of all time, candidly. But give us give us a little bit of color there because I, I think sometimes uh, entrepreneurs can get caught up in so much and they don't have this blow off valve, no pun intended, um, where they there's a nice tempering sometimes where I know personally, I, I lost a lot of my hobbies and passions when I was at CMO Triple because you, you're just overwhelmed with work, right? And I, I think that was a mistake on my part because you can get into a place of diminishing returns where you're, you're just constantly working, but you're working at 60% where it's like, dude, just take a day off or, or take the take the half day and recharge because you're going to be better, smarter, and you you start to have again the the output isn't there. But you found a beautiful, beautiful passion and hobby, and the output has been incredible. So give me give me some uh, thoughts behind how you got into tuning. Yeah, so this zaps back way back into the '90s, man. So I'm talking the Gran Turismo days, you know, PlayStation One, yes. learning and loving cars, yeah. right? And then when I turned 16 years old, I I had saved up. I had been working since I was 14 and a half to save enough money to buy my first car, got my first car in there. And then finally was even saved a little bit more money a couple years later and bought my first car. It was a 1997 GTI VR6 is what I purchased. And that's when my like first tuning thing started, right? It was way back in the day, the hatchback. I loved it. It was five speed. It had a six cylinder and it had a lot of torque. Well, a lot of power to what it was back then. Um, But uh, what's that called again? I learned that and actually the fun part how did I get into tuning? Well, I got into tuning because way A, I was already playing video games. I was already interested in, but I didn't have the money. I was a poor college student. I only worked the you know minimum wage jobs and didn't have a lot of money back then. So how I got into tuning was, uh, is actually funny. So I have a nickname called Jim Speed that my like old friends call me. And where it comes from is very simple. I had installed this cold air intake into the GTI and I installed this cold air intake. It was this new speed intake. It was the brand. I don't even know if new speed exists anymore, but it was a brand intake. And I looked at it and I said, well, all the hot air is probably getting into this cold air intake. How do we block it? So I created this thing. I created this metal thing I called eventually a heat shield. And this is where the name came from. And so I created this metal thing called a heat shield that would block the air into temperature. I went to Lowe's, Home Depot, and bought a bunch of stuff and kind of made it. And then uh, and then what's that called again? One of my friends was watching me do it. And he's like, dude, you're like new speed with Jimmy. So like gym speed, right? And so I made this heat shield <laughs> and it started to do it. I put tests on it at probe meters. And then I started to sell it. I sold it on forums. So the way I was able to fund my growth no of my way. car and build it was to build this pla- uh, build these heat shields and sell them on the internet for $55 shipped. No and I was selling a way. lot of them. I'm talking, I think I might have sold over 20, 25 grand of them. And the way that it was done, it was hilarious. I did it out of my dorm room in college because I'd work on my car in the parking lot and I would have it in the dorm room. And then the way I would do my dorm room, and hopefully one day these guys listen to me talk about this, but like my neighbors in my dorm room, area. Really, we're all broke college students. And I learned that the number one thing that we all wanted back then were cigarettes. So I paid everybody in cigarettes. I would pay them by uh, one pack of cigarettes for every five heat shields they would produce. It was freaking slave labor, dude. I just realized. The jail uh, currency. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's how I operated. And that was my first thing. And that's also my biggest first business lesson I learned. So the way it died, why that product died was very simple. A big company came out to me and was like, hey, guy, like we want to partner with you. We want to figure this out. We want to do this, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, send us a heat shield. We'll pay you, you know, blah, blah, blah. So I sent it to them all ecstatic. Like, oh, they're going to be awesome. They're going to do that. Well, they stole it from me and they uh, stole the design. They made a better version, way better than I could have ever made out of hand snips and weather stripping, but they made a better version and launched it and it took off and it kind of kicked me off to the side. And uh, that was my first business lesson that you don't trust anybody in business until you create a relationship. And back when I was, uh, you know, 18, I was super naive, man. I was just on top of the world. You know, I was the, I was the rich kid in college, but I wasn't actually rich. I was just making a lot of money because I had the side hustle that I had boxes and boxes of those free USPS uh, priority mailboxes sitting inside of my dorm room at all times because we're just going to the post office 
office every couple days and dropping off a huge load every time. So that's where my car love came from. And from there, I built a ton of cool cars over the last like 20, 30 years. And so like my obsession over building cars and building them the way I want, I foresee them and see them came into place. And that all is back to 2020 when the GTR became federally legal. And the whole idea behind that car is because of its age, it had to be 25 years old in order to be federally legal in the United States. So I had been waiting for years and years and years for this car to be federally legal. And the moment it came federally legal, I knew I had to find out only a certain color. And the color that I wanted, they only made about 250 of them. So like I knew I had to find the color too. So I spent six months hunting for the color. And eventually I found one and I was able to purchase one. And it was bone stock pretty much. And I knew that I was going to completely redo it. So it's been a project that I've been working on for almost three years in my garage mostly. I used a couple shops, but they screwed up. Shit, so ended up doing it. And my most recent thing was I pulled my engine out of my car, replaced the transmission, put a new engine, rebuilt the engine, put it all back together in my car. And it's running and operating and leak free in my garage. And uh, it's been a journey. But yes, I am very hands on. I get my hands dirty. I know how to build a car. And uh, it's just one of those hobbies. And to, to yourself, Rob, like it's my exhaust, my my sea level. My company always laughs. They go, Jimmy, go work on your car because you always come back with great ideas. And I said, why, why do you think that happens? And I said, it's because I take my mind off of business and I focus on building something else. And during that time, ideas flow through my head. And so like, that's where my exhaust, my output happens. My wife always says, go work on your car if you're pissed off. It's the best way to go bang on it. You know what's more, you can curse at your car and it never gets its feelings hurt. So, you know, <laughs> it's, it's okay to go work on it. But 100%. yeah, man, that's, that's how the car love came in. It's not a new thing for me. I've been doing it for, again, like 20 plus 30 years almost as a car guy. And like, I love cars, man. And like in my perfect vision world and why I'm looking even in Austin is because I want a big lot so that I can build a big garage because one day, one day I'm going to have a lot of cars and I'm working towards it. And especially where the cars are going right now, I'm scared. So I need to collect them all as fast as possible. So that's kind of the idea behind uh, Texas on top of everything. It's a personal selfish thing, but yeah, man, that's how I got into cars, dude. Big story there. But yeah, a lot of little lessons. So wild. That is so wild. You build the thing, you get some money, you get rugged by the uh, the big boys, and then uh, it manifests into this beautiful passion. I, I love that, man. Is this your favorite build to date? Or do you, do you have some OGs that you kind of missed that you got rid of? Uh, you know, I think they all have their different things. I will say there's no car that's more incredible to drive than the Skyline in my life. Like that is hands down. I've had Lamborghinis. I've had R8s. I've had uh, Super I've had Corvettes. I've had them all. I've had probably 30 cars in my life. And I used to transfer them a lot. And I would build them and I would sell them. Um, but there's no car that I've ever had. One, I've never owned a car this long, believe it or not. This car is the longest I've ever owned as a project car. Usually I build them, I get bored of them, and I sell them, right? Because I get bored. I finished my build. But this car is the infinite build. It's the infinite hunt. And I think it's the biggest thing for me is because it's a classic car now. It's incredibly defined, hard to find parts. So like I browse Yahoo Japan auctions at night to go find parts, rare parts define and bid on them and hope that I win and pay a shit ton of money for shipping because that's just how you have to do it. And I think that keeps me really energized because Joe Schmo down the street doesn't drive what I drive. It's not very easy to drive what I drive. And that makes me really excited that I'm building something. So yeah, man, uh, it's it's uh, it's the longest owned car and I don't plan to get rid of it. It's not a car I plan to get rid of. This is a forever car for me. It's and it's absolutely stunning. Um, okay, last question about the car. Does it does have a name. Stinky. And the reason why it's called Stinky, Stinky. is my son called it Stinky because uh, it has, uh, of course, uh, hopefully no one in EPA is listening to this, but it has no emissions of <laughs> anything. And it, it absolutely stinks when I fire it up because I run it on race fuel almost all the time. I run it on E85. So like really? it's running at race levels. And so it always stinks. And so my my uh, kid, my son likes to call it Stinky because it stinks the garage up. <laughs> That's amazing. What a wild. Jimmy, you have such an incredible story. I love it. Um, let's wrap up the maiden single with one last question. Um, what's the nicest thing someone's done for you? Oh, man. Dude, a lot of people do a lot of nice things for me. Um, I believe what you put out into the world comes back always. And I've always had the true belief of that. Yeah. I think the the nicest things that, oh God, I don't even know what the nice. Dude, that's such a great question, dude. Like, really, that's a great question. I'm trying to think what's the nicest thing. Um, I guess I go back to my parents, man. I think the nicest thing my parents did was bring me to the United States when I was a year old. And I guess I'm forever grateful for that mindset that they were willing to leave their country and come to another country and bring me here to be a better human being. So I would say at the at the core of it, and I know it's like super a little cheesy, but that's truly probably the nicest thing anyone's done for me. I think there's been a million nice things that people do for me every day. And it's, you know, I, I can't pinpoint one. I don't want to sing anyone out. 
No, I, I, I love that, man. And and off of just, I, I just did 30 days all across Europe and just being in the States, North America or Western Europe, man, you, you've kind of already won. Like it is, it is, it is crazy. I was just meeting so many killers and entrepreneurs and people and like, dude, if, if this visa doesn't go through, I'm going to get sent back to Iran or, you know, whatever. And they're going to take all my money. My business goes away. Like it, it, it's, it's crazy. The, the problems that you don't realize exist when you, when you are born in the States, North America or Western Europe, where it's, you can travel I, t- anywhere. I tell people you know, that all the time. It's, it's insane, man. It's insane. And so it's beautiful. I love it. Shout out to the parents. Let's do it. Um, okay. Value add segment. This is why the people bought the ticket. When you were building Senlane as this brand, as this epicenter of awesomeness, how were you thinking of it? And we can go down the different layers, but I just want to do the, well, first off, give people the, the Senlane elevator pitch, and then let's dig into how you've built such a powerhouse of a brand and a product. Yeah. So Senlane is a unified email, SMS and reviews for e-commerce. That's really it. Very simple. We're unifying the stack and we're uh, helping brands make more money than ever. Beautiful. When you found your product market fit, what were you looking for to build this brand? Like how were you, I guess first let's talk about how you built your team because you you run a pretty lean ship, but you guys are small but mighty. How did you think about that? What was your first hire? Yeah. Oh man. So uh, I would say what was my first hire and what would I do in the future are two different answers. Uh, right now, I've learned a lot of things in this business. Um, so when I was was in 2017 and I was starting this off and I was like, what do I need? Well, first we need engineers, obviously. So we had been using this outsourced company in India and we needed to bring it out. So we brought first two people really were engineers that we hired, uh, a, a director of like an operations slash project manager, and then one marketing person. One, she's still here today. Uh, she leads our marketing today, but I brought her in way back when she was a young little thing and she was just fresh out of college and I thought I needed someone to do social media. I don't know why I thought that's what I needed, but that's what I decided that I did, right? Uh, So those first hires that I brought in, we did a little bit of everything. I think the biggest thing that I look back at the hiring was I hired generalists with passion. They weren't the smartest people or they weren't the most experienced people, but they were going to do whatever it took to make it happen. And it took a lot of time to make things happen, of course. So like it also is a a test of patience. Um, We do have a lean team, but I would say that the way and reason why our team is super lean is not just because of just the way that we operate. We run really lean because we have a small, flat organization. I don't have a crazy hierarchy tier in the organization, and that has allowed us to do it. Secondly, myself and all the leadership and anyone I bring into this company, we're extremely hands-on. There is no barking orders at the top of the table. I'm going to be as just as hands-on as you are. In fact, if I need to wipe the toilet, I'm going to wipe the toilet, and you're probably going to have to be next to me. And that's the way that I operate. I lead by example. And so with that attitude, combined with a super kind of performance-driven mindset within the company, those have been like the two biggest drivers. Look, everybody has a KPI. I don't care if you're an engineer or you're CS or you're in sales. Everybody has a goal and thing that you're doing to move the company forward. And when you have everyone moving forward at the same direction, anyone who doesn't move forward kind of gets weeded out just as fast too. So, you know, I very much follow the mantra of hire slowly and fire extremely fast. And we do make a lot of moves there. I always laughed. I was listening to the operators pod earlier today and they were talking about how many people did you quit versus fire? And I was like, nah, I fire more people than I quit. I don't think I've, I think we've had a handful of people ever quit this organization. Most people get fired because they can't keep up or they expire out and things just don't work for us anymore. So uh, I'm very, I don't let people linger because I think it's a, it's a, it's something that creates problems within the organization often. So, um, but yeah, man, uh, you know, when we thought about this team, uh, you know, I think that a lot of the leaders have been here for many years now we built and uh, it's been a different story for us. I think like there's a, there's a send lane 12 months ago and there's a send lane today and they're very different send lanes today because send lane 12 months ago was fighting, fighting and fighting. And it was trying to find and figure out how to position ourselves, how to make sure that we can connect and how to also figure out how to break the noise on a really large incumbent. The Sunlane today now is all about scale and process and trying to figure out how to take everything that we've created and make sure that it's successful and we don't drop the ball. As I tell my team, this is our ball to drop and we fuck up. This is our own up, not anyone else's. And we need to make sure we're doing our best job, right? So I think that's a lot of the ways that we think about hiring and different things. And dude, I hire for passion more than I hire for skill. I hire more for 
uh, wanting to get their hands dirty and learning than I do hire for the logos that you have on your resume. So like I really do that and I don't give a shit about education. I think that's the biggest thing my team always laughs about. Like I have no idea where anybody went to school. I don't know where I went to school. So why do I care? I care about what you're doing today and that's what matters most. So like, you know, I think we have a great scrappy group of people, super lean for the size and uh, the, the revenue we do. And I don't plan to go crazy. I have touched a fire. I have done stupid stuff to try to go higher and do different things in the past. They all never work out end up at square one again as well too all you do is waste time ultimately man i I love that i love that ethos and i i think to the the other challenge with your higher or with your if you let those fires linger or the people that you need to kind of you know promote to non-send laners it it's a challenge because a players want to be around a players and so it's less about the person you get rid of and it's more about the killers right like losing an a player sucks like firing a b or c player it's okay it is the is what it is they're going to figure out what they're going to do and like it's a I'm, I'm a capitalist as well so it's value for value right like if you can't generate the value i need um and get me to the places you are you know here's a severance package thank you for trying and you know we'll we'll just move on versus trying to make things work, I think is something that is, and I'm not saying like, if you do have talented people, especially at the early stages of an org that you can move them around where it's like, to your point, they've expired out or capped out kind of the value they can create in X role. And you get the culture, you get the hands on, you're a talented person that gets things, let's try you in this role or that role or something like that. I think that's different. But when you find people that, especially when you do have the culture of excellence, like send lane, it's very much so, you know, burn the ships and get it done or get out of here. And I, I think that's the only way really a startup survives because you you need that survivalist mentality of like, here's a spear, we're going out into the jungle and only, you know, five of us are going in and maybe only three of us are coming back. But that has to be, everybody has to be, have that level of commitment because there's just, there's no room for error. Like you said, like, especially when you're going after big incumbents. And, but I think that's also, it's a feature and a bug, right? Where it's like, it's great in the sense of every, all this survivalist stuff, but there's a certain aspect of at a certain point, and I don't know if you necessarily ever need to get there. WhatsApp did it, Instagram did it, but as you grow headcount, paradoxically, like sometimes production goes down which is kind of weird. So I, I'm much of the same ilk as you where I want to keep it as lean as possible and move as fast as possible. Because that's the other thing where when you're fighting these big tankers, one of the big things, one of the big advantages you have is the agility to move quickly, to ship marketing campaigns faster, to jump on the zeitgeist, to add a feature, to do this where you don't have a six month roadmap and sprint that you can't touch because your head of engineering is like, this has already been laid out. So I love the way you're thinking through that, man. I think that's yeah. that's absolutely the path. And you, you lay out out something interesting you see in large corporations. You hear this old adage, they say like, oh, 20% of your workforce does 80% of your work. And you hear that often. I think that that mantra is broken inherently because that's a large company thought process. You can't do that in startups. Yes. You have to be 100% of your team has to be putting 100% of their effort in. And if they're not, get them the heck out of there. And I know it sucks and hurts. And to your point, Rabbit, like people do expire. But the thing is like, it's not that they expire. This is what I tell people all the time. It's, it's pretty interesting what I've seen as I've seen my years of entrepreneurs hiring hundreds of people and all that stuff. People move on to do something better often. And that's the thing that you are. Look, when you join a startup, you don't join a startup because like you think this is going to make you the most money or if you think this is going to be, it's the fastest career booster and accelerator that you can ever envision. However, the day that you have to move on, what you'll learn is if you go join something else and it's not a startup, things will be terribly slow and terribly behind and you will be a superstar in those realms often because that happens or you'll be disruptive and you'll break and you'll fall apart and get fired and go back to a startup. But either way, (laughs) you start to figure out, you start to figure out who you are really fast I think to your point, Robert, like when you can figure out who you are and where you fall into this world of the ecosystem of business and where your sweet spot is, you should aim to work at companies that are filling your sweet spot and filling what you are good at. Because how you become better and you improve is to be extremely good at that place so you can learn more about going to the future. So when I talk about that, I always say like, as an entrepreneur, my goal is to bring in people, empower them, give them all the trust that they have to do their work. And if they cannot get it done, It's okay. We thank them for their journey. But guess what? I know that I did my job to make sure that person is prepared because they're probably not going to screw up their next job because now they're like, I learned from that guy. You know, it was a hard job, but they taught me what I need to do to win next time in order to do it. So like, look, every journey has a start to an end, even my own journey. It's how you take that in and how grateful you are and how you can encompass it, how you can be better your next time. That's what matters most. So like, you know, I always think about this as like, it's okay. Like we all are going to experience people. And, you know, they always say the founder's journey is one of the loneliest journeys because the people who got you there are not 
the people who started the thing with you and not the people that were in the middle of it that were uh, that fought with you. But you do, to your point, Raba, you do need to keep the ones that have that special edge and that special passion. You got to find them somewhere in your company. There's something they can do. People that make movements like that do not do not fail when you move them to other places. They will figure it out, but you have to give them the trust and autonomy to do that. And that's like really the thought process that always comes into mind. But that's really the mantra that I think about as you're talking about a lot of this. No, it's, I mean, I, I need some more disagreement in here that the producers are hitting me in the ear to turn up the heat, but uh, I, I have nothing else but admiration and like I just the wisdom that you're spitting out is it's just top floor because I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think that the aspect of skilling yourself up, a, a startup can be just the other thing that I think a lot of high performers want are autonomy and impact. And once you get layers of bureaucracy, dude, those two things, like, especially, you know, especially too, when you get kind of higher level people that are not necessarily like, quote unquote, on, but are financially stable, right? Where it's like, if I lose this job or not, I'm not going to go hungry. So the economic incentive starts to be less. And it's more so am I working with the people I want to work with? Am I working in the vibe I want to work with? And am I working on the thing I want to work with? And those intrinsic motivators are just there's nothing like it, man. Like, again, economics can be great. But the same time like once you get a little bit of money you realize like it's it's energy it's not it doesn't make your life happy it doesn't make your life worse it's just energy and how you deploy that energy it's great and i'm not saying like you know champagne problems are great to have and obviously it's nice to have a bunch of money but when you have something internally driving you like i guess said another way when you care about something standards become irrelevant because you 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 actually own it and you try and you want to do your best and you're going to give 110% to it versus if you're more of that mercenary ilk, which again, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying that. It's just, it's hard to do your best work when you're doing it for the money. And I'm not saying you can't do great work for the money. Like there's a bunch of great consultants, agencies out there that are essentially mercenaries in that sense. But um, I think that's so important to have that. And it also makes the hard times better, right? It changes challenges to opportunities where it's like, like there, there's just this weird camaraderie where you just link up for a grander vision bigger than you. And it's 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 there's a weird thing of accomplishment, right? Like the the harder the work, like accomplishment is almost like a function of how hard you worked for it. And so when you do scrap and do this and now you're like, oh, my gosh, there's there's commas in the bank account. Oh, my gosh, we're in triple digit logos now. Oh, my gosh, we just scored X or Y or Z. That's such a cool brand. And like that, that's something that is so fulfilling that I I just don't think financial compensation can ever replace it. And, and again, I'm not saying don't get paid. You absolutely need to get paid. Make sure that you value for value and get what you're worth. But um, I just love the the passion and the excitement and the connectivity, I think, is also the word I'm looking for. When you build that that team that's just firing on all cylinders, man, there, there's just nothing like that feeling of being able to get a, a campaign off the ground or something where it's like, God, we, we had this thesis, we executed on it, and it worked like yeah, like that. That's the path, man. That's just incredible. You said you have kind of a flat hierarchy. How do you think of like managing your team? Like, do you guys do one on ones? How many directs do you have right now? Uh, I have seven, eight direct reports to me right now. Uh, so wow. it's generally my VPs and a couple people. So I lead the I lead the partnerships team. So I have two people under me in partnerships, and then I have my v, my VPs, and then just several other outliers that might report to me for different reasons, like some of the operation people and so forth. Um, I have weekly one on ones with everybody. I always ensure to make sure that I'm. Talking talking to everybody, find out what's going on and help and support him. Um, you know, and with that, uh, we, we, we lead in a very fast communication speed in our, in our, uh, company as our thing. Like, Again, it leads from the top for myself. Like I will respond incredibly fast to anybody and we expect everyone to do the same within the organization. So super high communication level is important. Telling people more about things and being super transparent about it. When we up, you need to raise your hand and tell you messed up so we can go fix it so we can move on to the next thing, right? Like those are things that we've instilled. We don't have egos in this organization. That's like the thing. Well, you mentioned this whole thing of like big people coming from other organizations. The number one thing we always fails with every person that's come in here has been ego. You can't come in here with ego because I know you think you know a lot of stuff, but the moment you try to come into the send lane way, you will be humbled often because as much as people think they know stuff, man, we do a lot of incredible stuff for a small organization that people are just shocked by. Uh, again, like as you said, man, like people think like we're tremendously larger in headcount or not. And the reason we're not is because I don't believe it. I believe in hiring people. I know this is like the wrong mantra that a lot of people think, but like I hire people in need after we need it, not when we need it. If that makes sense. Like when we say like, you know, like, oh, I need three people for three months from now. No, you get to three months, you figure it out, you bust out of the seams, you're hurt. 
and then you go hire some people to fill those seats and then you will hire a better person because you know what the challenges are and who the person is. So like we have even that mantra. So like right now today, I don't even have them published. I have seven recs technically that I could open up, but we're not going to open them up because I want my people to bust out of the seams and show me the need before I hire those people. And that's where we hold back. And, you know, it's just, you know, it's a bootstrap mentality that I have ultimately that I think about like this, but like, dude, money's not going to flow forever for us. We got to make sure that the money's good. And, you know, my number one job is to make sure that every one of my team members are paid. And so if I want to make things like that, I got to make sure that money lasts the longest as possible or else it's just going to be me on my own island. So like, I think about all of these things very much so, and it's very much a bigger picture thinking that you have to instill within the business. I could not agree with you more. And so we actually went through that at Triple well, where a couple to take a couple takeaways. One, uh, pedigree is very rarely a. In, I mean, maybe there's some like very technical verticals like engineering or something, but I can just speak to marketing. Like marketing pedigrees, I could care less about your pedigree. Like it, it was, what have you done? Have you failed? Have you gotten back up? And then pretty much a, a lot of that, all these things kind of encompass what I would call just vibe. Like, do I want to work with you, especially in a small team? Um, like I wanted to be, you know, involved in my direct reports. And I wanted to make sure that they're living a fun life as well as doing enjoyable work. But the hiring thing, we got really over our skis because we just raised a bunch of money and we're like, oh, we want to be this big company. What does that big company look like? This is what it looks like. Let's hire for that. And, and we absolutely got smoked. We had to, you know, downsize a bunch. This is, this is early on. We had to downsize a bunch because we brought on all these operators that were incredible on paper. And to your point, when you walk into the startup meat grinder, you're like, oh, I need to, I need an assistant. I need a director. You're like, no, dude, just write the, you don't need a copywriter, write the email. No, you don't you. need a, a marketer, <laughs> write the, write the marketing copy, bro. Like, like get it done. And so that was a big, uh, big wake up for us. And I just think that the way you're thinking of it is how we transition where don't hire until you feel pain. Or if, if you can, because the to, to two points that you just made of one, you know that, okay, cool, this person can become instant impact. You're not looking for work. There's work that needs to be done that you can give them too. And then two, I think uh, without the problems, you don't really know what the solutions are needed. And so having those problems, like you can have all the solutions in the world, but they don't really stick because uh, Clay Christensen, Professor Christensen had a great line where a problem is a place in the brain that a solution goes. And so if you don't have those problems, those solutions, you can be awash in the ways to solve this, but you don't really have the understanding of what you're trying to solve or what the problem is. And so I, I think that's on a candidly the best way to hire. And not to say that you can't hire fast. If you do start to feel all these pains, you don't want to overwork people for too long. But being able to articulate, hey, Jimmy, I, I'm trying to get X and Y done. Um, I need more resources. I need a content writer. I'm spending five hours a week on the newsletter. And the newsletter is really important to our content constellation. But I, I can't keep doing this and keep doing that. Can I please have some resources? Get Yeah, perfect. Get, go find some people, go hire your person. But saying, oh, I want to start a newsletter and I need a person to write it. It's like, well, start it. Give me some proof of work. And then if you it starts to work, hey, here's some resources. Let's grow this thing. I, I couldn't agree with that more. And I think it's it's such a siren song in a way because a lot, especially too, if you just raised because you know your your board and your investors expect you to do something with that money. And so it's like, yes, I know, but I, I you know, I don't want to just go on Vegas and be like, hey, all on black or all on red. Like, let me let me deploy this capital in a meaningful way versus just burning through it because this is what X or Y or Z company has done. And I, I, I the, also the other thing, the ego thing is just it's it's so on point where um, it it erodes and breeds contentment and resentment. And those are the two kind of emotions that you can't have in a startup. Everybody has to be on the same team or you got to get out. There has to be this almost founder level commitment when you're there where it's like, let's let's grow this thing together and we'll go to war together. And if if things my my incentives and your incentives start to diverge and let's have a talk. But that cohesion is is something that I've seen time and time again as being pervasive in the most most high performing teams that I've experienced where you're just you're all in it and you're all in. I, I love that. You don't join a startup because you want easy work. Put it that way. That's uh, that's something yes. I tell people all the time on the interview process. You're not joining this because it's easy, guy. You're joining it because you're going to learn a hell of a lot of things and you're going to have a lot of responsibilities and impact. And if you want that, that's why you join here. Otherwise, go get a large corporation job because then you can just tuck behind the nine to five. Yes, hundred percent. And again, nothing wrong. I don't with want to come across way. judgmental there. There, exactly. There's nothing if, there if the because it's not. I used to be this huge believer in everybody should start a business. It's the most honorable 
honorable thing in the world to do. And I still believe the the latter, but not the former, where people just have different risk tolerances. People are at different journeys in their life. Some people just are, are fine with clocking in and clocking out, and there's nothing wrong with that. But that uh, a startup is not the not the place for that type of attitude. Like it's it's um, not only dangerous but disingenuous. Where uh, and I think having that talk up front, where it's like, hey man, this is going to be the hardest job of your life, but it's going to be the most fulfilling job of your life. And if you're okay with that trade off, let's explore this more. If not, no worries. You're talented. Go, you know, go do your thing. Maybe we can do some consulting together or what have you. But I love that. Okay, a couple other questions. If you could spend a million dollars right now, how would you spend it? Oh, well, I'm about to. I guess I'm going to go buy a house. <laughs> let's go let's so, yes, go okay, okay if i wouldn't i'd be buying a lot of cars and i know that sounds really there bad but who cares it's about the it's about the now and the fueling it and if it's a million dollars i have to spend right now they'd be probably at least five six cars in my driveway i love that yeah money's energy man money's energy yeah it is it's, um, it's not what, the it's not the money it's what it brings and that excitement brings to the passion to fuel yourself so you can make more money with it, right? Like it's a big cycle, man. And you should point like more money doesn't mean that things are easier. It just means that decisions are harder. <laughs> so yeah, you, and you just have different problems. Like you're just trading, trading problems for different problems. Like it, it doesn't solve anything. It's just a, a different way to live. I love that. Um, okay. One last question. How do you think of launching new features? You guys have been really, really, especially just in recent memory of like maybe last three, four months of creating these incredible moments that people just really want to fuck with the brand. How, how do you think of launching new features and how have you been able to, to garner all this momentum, especially with, uh, you know, there's a couple of behemoths in the space and you're really starting to come into that, that really nice number two spot, which is, you know, especially in the ESP world, worthy of winning. You know what I mean? I mean, it's not nothing. It's not, I, I do not think ESPs are a winner take all market. And if you're in that second or third spot, man, this is, it's a, a tidy little business and you have the direct line revenue right where it's like hey i'm actually making you more money that was that was one of the big uh, epiphanies of my career where i got really into coding into websites and all this stuff and i realized oh my gosh building somebody a cash register versus making that cash register ring you can charge way more for the latter than the former where it's like if i'm show i'm, I'm making that person money versus building them a website and they have to do it and they're like hey why am i not making any money the website's broken it's like the website's not broken your your business just sucks so anyways the too long didn't read how how have you guys been able to just really turn up the rocket boosters or, you know, uh, hit the nitrous in terms of the momentum of lately. And how have you, how have you attached that to kind of the feature set releases? Yeah, man. Uh, that's a great question. You know, I've been dissecting a lot of my own work here, uh, as funny as that sounds, because I look back and I say, what have I done right? What have I done wrong? And how do I continue to improve it? Because that's my goal as a marketer that I'm always thinking about. So, you know, when it came back to I'm going to go all the way back to the thought process that I had. This was like a year ago, roughly. And I was like sitting back and we're struggling, man. We had this outbound team. They're dialing and calling. We're getting some demos. It was working somewhat. The reality was it wasn't doing the thing that I knew we needed to do. And I looked at my incumbent in the market and I really looked at him and said, well, how do I need to start positioning myself? And it took my six months almost to really just continue to figure out those positionings, the things that they're lackluster, the things that they are. And I kind of came up with two big things. And I looked at the world of things I came up with, obviously, to David and Goliath story. That's really a big story that I kind of play on. And the reason is, well, everybody online is probably a, a David, not a Goliath, because the Goliaths are enterprise companies that have no faces. And that led me right to the second thing. I said, a faceless company is where I'm attacking against. Why don't we create brand and personality in the market? Because suddenly we realized the market had nobody over there protecting them. So if I'm talking to them, they're not going to respond to me. And well, that's kind of the best place because then you get to drive your own narrative. So I combined all that with the understanding of community. You know, I'm sure you knew, Rob, but like I traveled a lot, just like you, dude. And I traveled everywhere. And I know I'm a founder CEO. I didn't give a shit. I needed to be everywhere. I needed to be at every event. I needed to be speaking at every podcast. I needed to be anywhere and everywhere the people were. And I needed to do the most unscalable thing, which is speak to each person individually, shake hands, create connection, because the word of mouth is stronger than anything you can create in your environment of marketing. And so that's was my playbook. I literally got on a jet eight out of 12 weeks all over the country, literally speaking at events, speaking at dinners, events, people having one-on-one -on -one meetings with the smallest to the biggest guys. I just made sure, and you know, the answer really, Rabba, and I hate, I know people are listening are gonna be like, what's the secret? It was sweat equity. It was called sweat equity, which is just can do the work and get out there and be in front of people. That's literally the answer to what my success was. Dude, I couldn't, I couldn't endorse that anymore. The one caveat that I would say is 
you are like a Harley where it's like you're likable, you're well-spoken, you have a ton of domain expertise, like your deliverability talk was fantastic. We get asked for that all the time from the Whaley's like, and so that's, I think the other really competitive advantage that you have, there's some founders that are, are, are just not that charismatic, you know what I mean? Or they don't really know, like they're really great at building a team, but you put them in a room and they, they like, when you come into a room, Jimmy, like you fill up the room, it's, ah, it's Jimmy, like, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I think that that wasn't not only prescient to understand that that strategy was something that the, the name that shall not be mentioned, um, can't really do. And, and so I, I loved almost that that guerrilla marketing style. And the other thing is smart people can talk themselves out of so many cool ideas because it quote unquote doesn't scale. And sometimes it doesn't need to, man. Sometimes it's like, hey, if I can create value for these people without any expectation of reciprocity, just helping these people out. That, that was one of our biggest growth levers at Triple. In the beginning, it was just like we would throw all these events or communities and have the our, our own Slack community, all this stuff. And none of it was was about MQLs, SQLs, pipeline. It was about, hey, how can we ingratiate ourselves by just helping people make more money, helping them run their business better, answer their questions that they have, connect them with other people in the space to help them get further on their journey. And I think that's something that's really lost because it it, it doesn't fit into a tidy OKR or it, it's hard to sell up the chain to corporate or the finance person comes in and says, hey, you can't do that. What's the return on spend there? You're just like, <laughs> what's, what's the, fa- what's the, uh, what's the favorite saying from Gary, what's the, what's the ROI of social media? And then he responds like, what's the ROI of your mother? Like, you know, it's the same idea. Like it's, there is no ROI, but there is, you just got to figure out where it is. Right. And so, you know, you're right. Like people follow big playbooks because they saw some hundred million dollar company doing something and they must be the right playbook or was the way that this startup grew. The reality is you got to find your own. And to your point, Rob, like it really depends. Are you greenfield space? Are you teaching people? Are you educating or fighting people? Like there's different things. And yeah, it helps that I love actually being socially out there and talking to people. It really does help in my, and I guess I would say that I built it to my strengths that I know that I'm already good at. And it's something that I've done, been doing for many years. So yeah. I mean, you're the CEO slash chief evangelist. And I think every great brand needs one of those, right? Whether it is a CEO. I mean, like, again, Harley's incredible. And what they, the Shopify editions was incredible. He's just such a, I mean, just cool as the other side of the pillow. Shout out Stuart Scott. Um, and Toby is brilliant, but you don't really want to put a Toby in rooms. You know what I mean? This guy, he's, he's, he's one of those just incredible genius, incredible guy. You definitely want him to lead your company, but you, you don't necessarily want to send him to the party. You know what I'm saying? And so I think that's where um, you've really nailed it, where I think, uh, I think community has been slept on, especially in the sense of SaaS tools. Like, dude, I'm just not a believer in, we spent a lot of money on paid media and I just don't think people buy SaaS from paid media. People buy SaaS from text messages. People buy SaaS from dinners. People, uh, the Chase and I always talk about this, um, where you really need to bring people through three stages. So there's the, the problem aware stage, then there's the solution aware stage, and then there's the product aware stage. And once you get them to that third stage, and again, this was something that I actually, because my whole background was D2C. Uh, well, I did some app install stuff as well, but pretty much all D2C. And that's how I tried to run triple from the beginning. And I realized nobody buys SaaS products like that. People buy SaaS like CPG. Like once they're ready to consume, then they're like, oh, what's the awesome email platform? Oh, yeah, I met that Jimmy guy. I'm going to go try SendLane. And and so like you need to be in the decision set at all times. And so that's why that omnipresent strategy works. And ideally, you're the top decision in that decision set. So once that person's ready to consume, like, oh, I need laundry detergent. I'm going to buy Tide. And so I think that uh, what you guys have been able to do, it's just been really, really awesome, especially again, compared, I mean, ESP SMS is a very competitive space and there's some proper gorillas in that, in that room. And what you've guys been able to, to, to carve out and grow has been something that is, uh, something to marvel at. I love it. Thanks, man. You ready for some rapid fire? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. Amazing. California overrated, underrated, overrated, Ooh. Ooh. uh, GTRs overrated, underrated. Oh, totally underrated. <laughs> totally underrated. <laughs> Um, OKRs, overrated, underrated. 
I'm in between. They're important, but they are way too heavy sometimes. I love it. And I don't want to steal your rapid fire thing, but I think the challenge, and it's kind of exactly like you were talking about, oh, Google did it or Facebook did it. So we should do it where you're not LeBron James. So you, you're not Warren Buffett. You should not invest like Warren Buffett. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like build this nuanced thing for you and what works. Like I think shared and agreed upon goals are all that matters. Whatever framework you use to get there and candidly, the more simple. Because what I've found is you can find people, it's almost like government contracts. You can find people that are incredible at the process, horrible at the output. And like, I don't care that you tracked every single OKR and you can show me how much you suck. You still suck. You know what I mean? I'd much rather have somebody absolutely crushing it and then we can figure out to make sure. So anyways, I can just I, I i found that <laughs> you can get in a process masturbation and it's it's not good for anybody 100 percent uh barbie marketing campaign overrated underrated Ooh, that was great i would say that they did a great job i mean they really did like it was they brought barbie back they made barbie hot again in the weirdest ways man uh, and i it's someone who's grown up in that market like it's weird to see it happen but hey man uh hopefully you know world it works in cycles and barbie has reinvigorated themselves as a player in the toy market again to young girls so they they job. absolutely yeah I'm, I'm i'm with you i thought it was absolute masterclass. um shopify editions what'd you think of launch overrated underrated i loved it I think they're doing the best thing they can do for the low-end merchants. Right, yeah, totally with you on that. Um, threads, meta threads, overrated, underrated. I don't even have the app anymore. <laughs> I, I, I absolutely, I'm going to have to eat it on this one. I absolutely missed on that. I, I extrapolated on all the wrong vectors. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's really hard to replace an incumbent. It, it really is. And there, there's also just so only so like non-consumption is way easier to get than changing people's preferences. And 100%. like, it's just so habits. hard to move people. Habits are hard habits, to break, man. Habits. And, and there's only so much social media space in someone's day. And so if you can't get that return and engagement quickly, it's done. Uh, community events, overrated, underrated. Dude, they are, people don't know what they're missing. Put it that way. Uh, they really don't. And like, I know people are scared of it. You just got to break out of your shell and get, get out there and do it. Like go shake hands. I always say, here's my event strategy. Whenever I go to an event, I always think of three things. I say, I tell my team, you need to come back with three things. I don't care if it's three demos, it's three connects, three very important things. And you need to achieve those goals. And that's all your event does. If you can accomplish that in one hour, then you can go and do whatever the hell you want for the next three days. If you want, if it takes you three days, do it. We can't go in there to win the world. You need three things because as a human, that's all you can accomplish. So that's my event community strategy is go in, meet three people, do three things, have three objectives. If it's me going to say, I want to go meet Jason at Hexglide, I'm going to make sure I meet him. And that's my one check mark to move on to the next thing. You see what I'm saying? Like really getting really focused on it. And that's my strategy behind that. And that's how people should. People think too hard about what it could be. Gosh, that is so well articulated. So I, 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 I've done just so many conferences, so many. And I'll tell you what, simple and concise is better because I, I went into a lot of these at the beginning of I'm going to take on the world, blah, blah, blah. And you end up leaving with nothing because you're overwhelmed versus like, dude, if I can walk away with three connections or three takeaways or three ways to improve my business, that's such a beautiful way to look at it, Jimmy. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, Twitter to X, overrated, underrated. <laughs> I love Twitter. Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't love the name the Elon Max is my get you. I know. I know. I don't know how to think of this. I think, I think Elon, <laughs> I, I trust in Elon. Put it that way. I trust in Elon and I believe he's trying to do something bigger. And so I'm supportive of the X movement. Okay. So the non-answer there. I look, the at, look at this guy. This is, I told you, community here. events. Community events. This guy, he gets it. Um, if you could collab with anyone at Sunlane. Who are you trying to collab with? Budget agnostic. Man, who could I collaborate with? God, that's such a great... Uh, man, I, I'd love to collaborate with Shopify. <laughs> As I say it, like, you know what I mean? Like being the number two, the lack incumbent, like I don't get anything from those guys. I won't even get a look over on our sides. And it would be my dream to actually have some kind of relationship. So that would be a big dream for us. I mean, we're serving a lot of their merchants now. And one day, maybe Harley, maybe he listens to this, we'll reach out and we can talk. I've been following Let's him. Go. I, yeah, one of these days, right? So that's the goal. But I know they're in bed together. And that makes it that makes it hard. But that doesn't mean you can't break it. And that's the number one thing I'm always going to fight for. Just because you can't just because there's a goalie doesn't mean you can't score. Let's go. No, it's 100%. We're going to try forever. I love that. Your favorite car. I know, I know you love the GTR Skyline, but what's what's the... the fa Actually, let me give it twofold. What's your favorite car and what's your favorite daily driver? Because those can be two totally different things. 
Oh God, that's such a great question. As someone who doesn't drive very daily, uh, I really like my pickup truck. I have a Tacoma and yeah. I love that thing and it's great. It's slow. It's, a it's great car. Uh, yeah, it's a great car, dude. It's slow. It hauls a lot of stuff. So my daily is there. If I'm buying, okay, I obviously love the GTR, but what's my next car? I want to buy a GT3. I want a Porsche GT3, right? Like that's my next big Ooh, car okay. I want. Because I've done the Lambos, I've done the Audis, I've done the Ferraris. Now it's time to try a Porsche out. And I've been wait- waiting to get one. And hopefully in the next couple of years, I can afford one of those things. So so you never done the Germans. Okay, let's go. I have go. done Germans, I, I like just it. haven't done the Porsche yet. So I know. Oh, because the Audi. Audi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've done Audis, the, Lambos, the Audi, I've done all of them. Porsche is the, the one that I haven't gotten to yet. The, the R8 is sexy. No Rari on the, on the, not a Rari guy, huh? No, I just not an Italian guy. Just, yeah. That's my douche quality. I want the just just full blown <laughs> douchey red Ferrari. Just get it. I'm I'm thinking about just grabbing one for a year or two and get you know just getting the experience of being done with it. Yeah. I, so funny. I, I have a friend that's also kind of a big car enthusiast, and he's had every GT40, like all the crazy exotics, like you. And he said uh, his favorite car is actually the Lambo Urus. He said it's actually a phenomenal car. You can drive it. It's fun. It's big. It's safe. Is that is that a good take or a bad take? Dude, the Lambo, it's actually a, I mean, I've I've driven him. I've ridden in him. They're nice. I mean, they're nice cars. I don't know if they're worth $250,000. I'd rather have a Range Rover. Right. They're you. proper nice. I had a Range Rover SBR <laughs> exactly. daily and it literally is the same thing, except that it doesn't have the Lambo badge on it and the bucket seats are, are I would say, more comfortable on SBR than they were in the Lambo. So That's a bad boy car. Yeah, it's name. It, there's a little bit of name attached to that thing. You missed out on the 179 with the SVR, though. They're too light. That's the only yeah, range, or that's the I only know, Land Rover know, that but... you don't get the tax deduction because they they strip it all down. But uh, no, I, I love that. It's uh, I'm a big fan as well. Favorite place to travel to and why? Dude, I love Vegas. No matter what, I always love Vegas because it's the place you can do whatever you want in your life at any time. I love Vegas. Uh, let me gamble. Let me eat. Let me send shows. You can do whatever you want there. And really, it's it's a kid's playground. And if you know how to play it, it's it's a great place. I love that place. I was just there for 10 days, li- basically living there for 10 days for an event and the poker stuff and all sorts of stuff that I was doing. And dude, I loved every minute of it. And I'm never upset about being there. So I know it sounds cliche, but I actually love Vegas because it lets me fill all my vices in one place. There you go. Get it, get it out, get it recharged. I love it. Um, What do you think of the F1 going there? I think it's overhyped, super overhyped. Oh, it's overhyped. Oh no. My heart is that this is I think it's way overhyped. This is like the third person that said this. I was so on board. Yeah, it's so overhyped because of the they're gouging everybody for what it is, man. Like blocking That's off fair. restaurant views just so, unless you pay for tickets. Come on, man. Like this is about to be, it was supposed to be about the sport, not about the money, you know? And I think it was cool until That's a great point. the money and the capitalism came into it. I'd rather go see an Austin or Miami where it's easier. Or, I mean, it happens all the time over in California. No big deal. You know what I mean? It's the same thing. It's <laughs> That's all you see anyways, right? That's the, Yeah. <laughs> It's like a U. It's almost like a, a UFC fight, or a little bit worse than UFC fight. But yeah, it's it's not the same as when you. Actually I've been to the Super Bowl, TV. dude. The it's, Super Bowl is better on TV than it is in person. I can yes. tell you that right now. Precisely. I had fifty yard line 100%. tickets, twelve rows up in the Super Bowl, and it still wasn't as good as being in in the TV. Hundred percent. I love it. Uh, okay, one last question, Jimmy. If you can invite three people to dinner, dead or alive, fictional or non-fictional, who are you inviting? So you're sitting at the head of a four-person table. You have three seats to fill. Who's going to invite from Jimmy Kim? I think we're going to bring in Elon because Elon, I just think, is an incredible character and he's going to be funny as hell. Uh, and then I'm bringing in two more entrepreneurs behind that. I think that are incredible people too. I look at Cuban. I think Cuban is an incredible person and I think he has different insights that he I'm would bring to market. Yeah, super smart. Yep. And I think with with the recent stuff going on with Zuck, I think that it would be funny to have Elon and Zuck at the same table just to battle oh it out. Oh my god. Right? Just to battle it out in front of you cuz you know that would happen, right? So I would think about the drama and then Cuban giving me the giving me the higher wisdom almost, like giving me that wisdom talk on the side while they're battling it out. Like that would be it right now. I'm very much about a modern like futurist like big founder people. I mean, there's a lot of other people in the world that I think are incredible, but those three right now are they're hot. So like I, I love to sit down and talk to any of them. That's an absolutely incredible dinner. And uh, I'm with you. I, I, I was just incredibly impressed by Zuck being able to eat his ego with the metaverse stuff. And like once he made the uh, employee cuts, you know, the headcount reductions and then uh, stopped talking about the metaverse, the stock is absolutely screaming right now. It's it, it's impressive. People question man. him it to be really CEO, impressive. man. 
he he's the CEO. Yeah, dude. he's he gets it. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yes, he gets, he gets it. it. He's uh, he's uh, yeah, he's slowly approaching my Mount Rushmore of uh, CEOs. I mean, the amount of shareholder value he's been able to create and the the sustainability of his business, the Instagram, the WhatsApp, the the being able to. I mean, he's been blocked a few times with the um, SEC in terms of acquisition stuff. But um, yeah, man, I think the guy is absolutely top floor. Jimmy, you made it through rapid fire. Incredible. This is, dude, this is, I cannot believe your journey from some slanging bootleg heat shields to selling out Saturns to running one of the best ESPs on the planet, man. It is what an awesome journey. Um, dude, thank you so much for the time. How could people get more involved with Sendlane? How can they follow you or you on MentorPass or anything like that? This time is yours, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Twitter, obviously, is where I spend most of my time at Yo Jimmy Kim. You can find me there. I share all sorts of wisdom from funny sh- to actual strategic stuff. Um, obviously, outside of that, Sendlane, you can find at sendlane.com. That's pretty easy. Uh, what else? Uh, I do Mentor Pass. If you want to learn more shit from me, I uh, I give away my services on Mentor Pass. Yeah, I don't charge anything for it. Uh, whatever Mentor Pass they charge you, but I do it for free and I'll never charge because to me, uh, this is my way of giving back and it also fills my cup. So that's something that I love doing too. So come get free advice. I'm happy to do it half an hour. In fact, as I get off this pod, I'm going to jump on a Mentor Pass and talk to a what it looks like an early stage founder who's going to want to know and how to pick my brain. And I'm happy to do it, man. I want to share the world because me giving back, as I told you, man, it all comes back tenfold, dude. The world works in a great way and you got to make sure that you're giving back because you can't just take from the world. You got to give at the same time. Dude, I, I have a big uh, create more than you consume. I, I think that's beautiful, man. It, it really, and it's just a cool way to live. You know, it's just, just help people when you can. And especially too, when it's at that, that arbitrage of like, it's such a little thing for you and it's so life-changing for that other person. It's, it's just, I think it's just a beautiful way to live. Jimmy, you're just such a wonderful human dude. Thank you so much. Don't forget about uh, the e-commerce roundtable. How do people get tickets? Uh, CommerceRoundtable.com. And uh, Commerce- I'm going to- Beautiful. And I'm going to put a little FOMO scarcity play here because I'm being serious and up front, but we're like 70 some percent sold out already. So like get in before it's gone. Uh, we're expecting to sell out by mid-August completely and events not till September. It's a good ticket. It's an all-inclusive. We're going to feed the living shit out of you. Anyone who knows me at all, uh, food and drinks will be fucking flowing. And that's going to be the most important thing for me outside of everything else. It's literally vibes. What, a lot of the budget with vibes, of course, with great people. And we're overlooking the ocean. You're not going to want to leave there. And it's going to be a really good time. And who doesn't like come to San Diego in September? Come Come learn, come hang out, drink, enjoy, and come have a good time. I love that. Amazing. Jimmy, dude, you are just such a gem of a human. I'm so glad our paths have intertwined. Um, Thank you so much for taking the time to come on the pod, bro. People are going to love this. Yeah, thanks, man. All right, folks, if you want to get more involved at Triple Well and ride the lightning and experience magic, you can go to triplewell.com. If you also want the best D2C newsletter out there, we have something called Whale Mail that we send out every Tuesday, Thursday. You can go to triplewell.com slash whale mail. And if you want to see Jimmy's amazing hat and cool shirt, um, you can actually watch all of our podcasts on youtube.com slash triple well. Um, thanks again for tuning in, folks. If you can, leave a review and also uh, ping me over the Twitters or anything like that. If there's ways, things that you like about the show, things you don't like about the show, um, we are here for you and wanting to generate as much value for you as possible. So any recommendations or praise is always welcome. Jimmy, you're the man. I appreciate you taking the time, brother. Thank you, brother. Thanks, man. All right, folks. That's another ROAS in the books. Mm-hmm.